please turn in your Bibles to Paul's letter to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and we will be reading from verse 6, or sorry, verse 18 through the conclusion of the chapter. So Romans 8, beginning at verse 18. And follow along with me as I read. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this we hope, for in this hope we were saved, and, and now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we bow our hearts before you 
We're thankful that in the past you have revealed yourself through prophets, but in these last days you have revealed yourself through Jesus. And we're thankful for his incarnation. We're thankful for his ministry of teaching. We're thankful for his death, burial, and resurrection. We're thankful for the living word and the written word. And as we open up your written word to learn of the work that the living word has done and does, we we look to you and we depend upon you and we ask you to speak to our hearts from your word today in ways that would be for our good and for the building up of this church and for the glory of your matchless name. Help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was planning this morning to be back in our study in Proverbs. I was planning on being in Proverbs 6 and 7 this morning, but for a couple of different reasons, I think God has something to say to you and to me this morning from Romans chapter 8. I've entitled this sermon, Your Extraordinary Hope in Suffering. And by extraordinary, I mean unusually great. All of you at one time or another, and maybe many of you even right now, um, are experiencing sufferings and trials of many kinds. You may be gripped with physical illnesses, you may have weakness that you're facing, you may be facing an onslaught of discouragement or temptation from the evil one. You may live in relationships with problems that seem insurmountable. The evil one may remind you again and again of your past failures. You may be grieved in your heart because of the evil that you see in the world. You may be suffering because you are a follower of Christ and there's a price to pay. There is no end to the kinds of sufferings that you may be experiencing. And sometimes your sufferings can overwhelm you. Sometimes you lose sight of any glimmer of hope. And my desire today is to point you to the extraordinary hope that is yours in Christ. If you're here this morning and you are a Christian, your hope in Christ is extraordinarily great. There is nothing ordinary about it. It's greater than we can begin to imagine. And I want you to see it this morning, to savor it and to live in light of it. God doesn't promise to always remove the suffering, but He does promise to sustain you with hope as He carries you through that suffering. Um, And when we say that, in no way are we wanting to minimize the suffering that you may be facing. Instead, it's our desire for you to understand that the hope that is yours is far greater. Our our text of Scripture today is Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 39. Today I want to highlight from this text three reasons for your extraordinary hope in suffering. And I want you to see then three key questions and answers that fortify 
that hope. But let me be clear first and foremost, this hope is for the person that Christ has saved, the person that is born again, who has been justified by faith, and who has objectively peace with God. It's an objective peace with God through faith in Jesus. This hope is anchored in, and it's built upon the person of Jesus Christ, whom we just remembered uh, at the communion table this morning, who redeemed us through his shed blood and whose righteousness is counted as ours by faith. If you're here this morning and you're not trusting in Jesus for your salvation, I, I urge you to do that even today so that you too may have and experience this extraordinary hope. So, as we begin, what are the three reasons for your extraordinary hope in the midst of suffering? Uh, we see him here in this text, and th there's one thing that we must say before we look at this reason number one, and it's this, it's found in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, and that passage teaches us that we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, in reality, our hope is refined in the furnace of afflictions. So, suffering leads us to our hope in Christ. In fact, in suffering, we learn to identify with Christ and his sufferings. And in Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, we read this, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. <laughs> For Jesus, suffering came before glory. It's that way for us too. So in, in our flesh, we, we might fight against suffering. We may not want to accept suffering. We may not see anything good in our suffering. We may be overwhelmed by our suffering, but with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can accept and even rejoice in our suffering because, reason number one, our present sufferings don't begin to compare with the glory that will be revealed to us when Christ comes again. If we suffer with Christ, we will also share in his glory. And that glory will make any suffering in this lifetime seem pale in comparison. Um, what, what does the glory that will be revealed to us when Christ comes again look like? <laughs> well... We'll find out one day, but in, in short, our attempt now to understand that, that glory, we, we believe that it will be the most beautiful and satisfying thing that you have ever seen. John Piper says, 
God's glory is the radiance of His holiness, the radiance, radiance of His manifold, infinitely worthy and valuable perfections, end of quote. And, and when Christ comes again, His glory will be revealed to us. God will give us eyes. He will reveal Himself. He'll give us eyes to see and to savor Him in all of His breathtaking beauty in an unhindered way. Nothing will hinder us. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says it best, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And then back in Romans chapter 8, verse 24 and 25, we read, But in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. (laughs) Hope is a certain and confident expectation that God's glory will be revealed to us when Christ comes again. Again, as verse 18 says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul's not minimizing the suffering in this lifetime. Paul understood suffering. He suffered plenty in his lifetime. Instead, he's saying that seeing and savoring the glory of God for all eternity is infinitely better. He says this so that you will persevere in your faith, giving you courage and patience in what can be sometimes long sufferings. Let me attempt to illustrate present sufferings in contrast to future glory. Uh, Present sufferings may be compared to the excruciating pains of a woman in labor. Not pleasant. I mean, I can remember thinking that what Shelley experienced in her labor was more excruciating than anything else I have ever seen. Not to discourage some of you ladies who hope to be moms someday. But I want you also to know that the gift of a child makes all of those labor pains a price worth paying. I I witnessed Shelley cry out in labor pains for a season, and she would say a long season, but there were inexpressible tears of joy when Josh and Jess were in her arms. So our present sufferings don't begin to compare with the glory that will be revealed to us when Christ comes again. There is a great hope for you in the midst of suffering. uh, Reason number two, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. how, How does that happen? Well, one of the ways is this, verse 26 and 27 of Romans 8. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to 
to the will of God. So do, do, do you ever find yourself in a situation where you don't know how to pray? <laughs> Have you be, ever been in a situation where you're so overwhelmed by your trial that you don't even have the strength to pray. But be encouraged. The Holy Spirit, this text teaches us, the Holy Spirit is interceding for you. And this reveals that our hope ultimately isn't tied to us hanging on to God, but God hanging on to us. The Spirit searches our hearts and He knows what we need. The Spirit also knows God's will for us perfectly, and He intercedes on our behalf in that way. Do, do you understand the weightiness of that? We, we, we get encouraged when our brothers and sisters pray for us, and right, rightly so. How much more should we be encouraged in our sufferings when we know and we believe that the Holy Spirit intercedes with the, for us according to God's perfect will. And God the Father always gives what the Holy Spirit asks for because the Holy Spirit is always praying according to the Father's will. You're not left alone here on this earth. The Holy Spirit is with you. He knows you far better than you know yourself. And He always knows your Heavenly Father perfectly. And He is actively and faithfully praying for you in perfect agreement with God's perfect will. Reason number three for your extraordinary hope in suffering is this, that God makes all things work together for our good. Romans 8, 28 through 30. Now, not everything that happens to you is good. We will share in God's glory if we share in his sufferings, uh, the English definition of the word suffering is a state of ongoing pain, distress, or hardship. But God is so wise and powerful that he can use that pain, distress, and hardship to bring about good in your life through it. What, what is that good that he promises to bring about even in things that aren't good? Well, verse 29 tells us, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, how, how confident can we really be in God's ability to make all things work together for our good? That's a bold promise. Because we know that not everything that happens to us is good. But God in His infinite wisdom and His sovereign power is able to be at work in our life through all of the suffering and trials and experiences that we face to bring about good. How, how confident can we really be in God's ability to make all things work together for our good? Well, verse 30 says, And those whom He predestined, He also called... Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, the word glorified grammatically means it's a past completed action. However, 
The Bible also teaches us that we're not yet glorified because that will happen when Christ comes again. But the point that's being made here is that it's as good as done because God says that He will do it. God is up to something good in your life, even in suffering. He's at work to form Christ in the character of your life in an ever-increasing way. God is so wise and so good that He can take hard times and use them to bring about a greater maturity in you that reflects the person of Christ. Your suffering is not pointless. Do you believe that? (laughs) Your suffering is not pointless. Can, Can you rest in the care of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Can you be content in Christ, even in the midst of your trial? You can be absolutely certain that no matter what is happening in your life, even if what you're facing isn't good, it brings pain, it brings distress, it brings hardship. You, you can be absolutely certain that your life won't be defined by that pain, but by your sovereign Lord who is infinitely wise and loving and good and is at work doing good things in you and through you. Faith is living in light of that truth, even if you don't see it physically, and even if you don't feel it emotionally. We must fight to live in light of Christ and His promises always. Jerry Bridges says this, I quote, Trust is not a passive state of mind. It is a vigorous act of the soul by which we choose to lay hold on the promises of God and cling to them despite the adversity that at times seeks to overwhelm us. End of quote. That is David Bateman's life right now. As he lays in a bed or sits in a chair in the ICU struggling for breath, wondering what the days ahead look like, and yet comforted by the work that Christ, by His Spirit, is doing in his life, filling him with hope even when breathing comes hard. David is experiencing that that clinging to that promise is a vigorous act in the midst of struggling with the breath, to look to Christ and to believe His Word and to live in light of that. Maybe you're doing that too, even even now. So we, we have here, we've talked about three reasons for extraordinary hope in suffering. Now I'd like to talk about three questions and answers that fortify your extraordinary hope in suffering. And the first question is this, if God is for us, who can be against us? We see that in chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. So, if God is for us, who, who can be against us? And simply put, no one, abs- absolutely no one. But why is that? Well, the answer here we find is this, that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us 
all things. That's the character and the promise of God. The gift of Jesus to meet our greatest need is proof that God is a lavish giver of good things, really good gifts. Yes, we are forgiven, and yes, we have the hope of glory, but we also live in this age, in this lifetime, with the promise of His faithful presence with us. The Spirit is constantly with us, comforting us, enabling us, transforming us, and keeping us. Praise God for that. Question number two, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who, who is to condemn? Well, we find the answer here in verses 33 and 34, and it's this. It is God who justifies. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Today, we know, today we know that God is for us, not against us. And if God is for us, no one can stand against us. Again, praise God for that truth. Number three, or question three, who or what shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Verses 35 through 39, and the answer, shortly put, is nothing. Um, there's nothing that can separate us from God's love for us in Christ. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Listen again to verses 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. <laughs> Praise God. The gospel makes it abundantly clear that we really do have an unusually, extraordinarily great hope in Christ who will transform us through our sufferings and take us to glory. The gospel says that, and you can be absolutely certain of this. And so in closing, let me just mention four things as way of application of all of these truths. One is this, you have every available grace to be content in Christ, even in your suffering. True contentment comes when you accept your suffering and are fixed on the hope that is yours in Christ. It's not dependent upon circumstances. Two, you have, you have no good reason to give way to grumbling, despair, or self-pity. I'm not saying that you won't be tempted to grumble, 
But if you start feeling sorry for yourself, it should alert you that you have lost sight of the hope that is yours in Christ. Number three, you have the perfect opportunity to experience the truth that Christ... So this is in the context of walking through suffering. You have the perfect opportunity in that context of suffering to experience the truth that Christ is enough to satisfy your soul. Your sufferings are intended to drive you to Christ and to fix your heart on the hope that is yours in Christ. Not in circumstances, but in Christ. And then number four, you have every reason to be filled with hope and joy. In this lifetime, God is with you, and in, this life, in the lifetime to come, because of what Christ has done for you and what the Holy Spirit is doing for you now, you will see and savor for all eternity all of God in His breathtaking beauty. So don't lose sight of your extraordinary hope that only Christ can give by His Spirit, even in your suffering. Don't lose sight of Him. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for your word. Thank you for how you speak truth to our hearts. Thank you for how you reveal yourself to us, how you remind us again and again of your promises and the work that you have done through Christ by your spirit so that we can find joy and contentment in you even when we walk through circumstances that are difficult. Father, what you have done, what you do, and what you promise to do is really so much greater than what we even can begin to comprehend. But Father, I pray that you would give us the grace to believe your promises, promises that seem too good to be true. Help us, Father, to see you and to not lose sight of you in the midst of some of the trials that, that you, you lead us through. So, Father, enable us by your Spirit to put our hope in you. Help us to remember your promises. Help us to cling to your promises. But, Father, thank you for the work that you, you've started in us, the work that you have promised to complete in us and Lord, we together just want to praise your matchless name for this extraordinary hope that you give. We thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.